Oklahoma's defense played well enough to win on Saturday. When you hold a Big 12 offense that's actually been pretty good this season to only 27 points, at Oklahoma, that should be good enough to get out of there with a W. But even on a day when the Sooners' defense picked up 11 TFLs and forced a pair of turnovers, there were too many instances where Baylor knew it could pick up some easy yardage when the Bears needed it. I want to highlight five snaps, all of them coming in the second half. Baylor's first three second-half possessions all began with the same play concept. Zone read, QB keeper with a backside tight end pull. The reason the quarterback kept the ball all three times was because Oklahoma did not have anybody to set the edge. In fact, this was the exact same play concept that Kansas tortured OU with in the first half of that game in Lawrence last month. The same play that had me pulling my hair out and the same play that had Teddy Lehman heated on his podcast. Baylor's offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes no doubt saw this on tape and ran it over and over again against an aggressive Oklahoma defense that doesn't ever seem to have an edge player built into its scheme. So Baylor ran the same play on the first snap of its first three second-half drives. The result? Bohannon runs of 28, 23, and 18 yards. Then we got to Baylor's fourth possession of the second half, the second play of the fourth quarter. The score was still 10-7, to by the way. And it was at this moment that Oklahoma finally realized that Baylor was running the same play over and over again. So this time, Nick Benito set the edge. Will linebacker Shane Witter scraped down off of Benito in anticipation of Bohannon keeping the ball and trying to get around outside. But Bohannon did not have the football this time. He had given it off to Abram Smith, who had a gigantic hole in the area vacated by Shane Witter. Smith only had Pat Fields to beat, and that wasn't a problem. Fields took a poor angle in the open field, and Smith went 75 yards down into the red zone, a killer of a play. This wasn't hard for Baylor to see on tape watching Oklahoma's defense, and the Sooners failed to figure out that Baylor was taking advantage of a very clear weakness over and over again. In fact, Baylor ran that same play concept later in the game. Now, it wasn't on the first play of a drive, but it still worked. That play I'm talking about was Bohannon's last touchdown run that put the nail in Oklahoma's coffin in Waco. On a day when Oklahoma's defense played well enough to win, there was still enough big plays given up that seemed incredibly preventable given that other teams had beaten the Sooners on the same stuff earlier this season. And Oklahoma simply failed to adjust. Oh, and the Sooners' offense was downright awful on Saturday. Don't think for a second I'm putting all of the blame on the defense. No way. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's do it. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Welcome to the show. Now it's the first time we get to talk about a Sooners' loss in this postgame podcast since early on in October of 2020. And if you listen to our last episode, you know that both Grant and I did not see this one coming. Speaking of Grant, he was in Iowa City this weekend seeing his Gophers get beaten by the Iowa Hawkeyes, but I'm sure he still unfortunately found enough time to, uh, to watch along with that ugly OU Baylor game. Grant, what is up? You know, I did. I saw, I saw every play in the game all the way up until... Uh... I turned the game off. I had it on my, my phone. We were walking around tailgating. And uh, I turned the game off on when it was 17-7, to 7, 
and Baylor picked up what that third and 15 after they stopped them five yards short and then they they were able to push them past and I was just like oh well yeah this this thing's over so um man what a what a what a cataclysmically disappointing game um maybe maybe the most disappointing loss uh, maybe in the history of my OU fandom I mean it was that I mean that game was Obviously, is Lincoln Riley's lowest point, I think, as head coach of this university or this program. Um, it was just a, it felt, it, it almost felt like a failure just across the board. Of course, kind of when you dig into it a little bit more, there there is some stuff to like, especially on defense. But as the game was unfolding, as you were watching it, you just got the sense that it was just a disaster, right? And it, it I mean, the game started off just like that on the very first the very first series it just it it felt disjointed they didn't feel prepared it just felt disastrous and uh you know i it's and, and not to say and you say you know i i didn't see it coming i you know i'm going to cop to it a, a few games a few a few days before the game i started to feel weird about the game i didn't say anything on the podcast just because i didn't think it was necessarily rational but my feelings at the time were just like oh man everyone's feeling good woody washington surprise coming back everyone's just kind of riding high and then my my cynical brain, maybe just like my anxious brain, was thinking, ah, it's a perfect time for them to be really disappointing and just to disappoint everybody. And that's clearly what happened. So I don't know what happened, Lee. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to bring up a tweet from Eddie. Uh, Eddie pointed out a tweet about um, OU coming off by bye weeks and by or like the time <clears throat> time to prepare. And I'm trying to find it. Sorry, I was a little distracted. Here we go. Uh, so, yeah. So, Eddie from the Sooner Script Podcast, Eddie Radosevich, tweeted out that six of the nine losses in the Lincoln-Riley era have come with more than one week to prepare. And three of the losses, so half of them, were in the college football playoff. So, okay, that's, you know, those are kind of different. But, I mean, th- the other three are coming off a of bye week. And I thought this was a good pull by Eddie because um, – I guess I had just kind of forgotten. And the Iowa State game in 2017 with Baker Mayfield and that team, that team, that team was really good. And that's when they lost to Iowa State. And that, that was a shocker. Um, and then uh, last year against K-State was in that weird COVID season where there was all those weird random bye weeks because they had the first game against, what, Missouri State. And then they had a bunch of, I think, two weeks off or something like that. And they lost to Kansas State at home. And now just a traditional open week losing to Baylor so it's like the extra time doesn't doesn't really seem to help uh Lincoln Riley coach teams and I mean two of those times they were gigantic gigantic favorites and then this one they were a small favorite on the road against a good Baylor team but in that role as a small favorite on the road at home doesn't matter Lincoln Riley has been very good he had been unbeaten up until now this is the first time that he has lost a game as a less than touchdown favorite or a less than six point favorite since he's been the head coach at Oklahoma. So history was on Oklahoma's side despite the whole bye week thing. And with everything going on, everything just coming around this team with getting healthy at the right time. Uh, Dusty, I talked to him on Sunday night. He pointed this part out that we had kind of overlooked the fact that Oklahoma had been disrespected the first two weeks of the college football playoff rankings, putting them at eight. The whole, you know, put a chip on their shoulder. We're disrespected. None of that seemed to matter. And from the very beginning, Oklahoma won the toss, elected to receive, which 
was like, okay, they want to set the tone here. They want to put their best unit out on the field, set the tone on the road, and that's what you got on Oklahoma's first series? And it was like they hadn't practiced in two weeks. It's like they hadn't stepped on the field since that TCU game, or I'm sorry, Texas Tech game. Yes, it, it, it made me question if they, if they even came out with a plan or a script. I mean, that was the... What, what a disaster of a first drive that was. I, just a complete disaster. And so, and I'm sure, you know, hey, I, I'm sure it's going to be a lot, I'm sure it's a lot more nuanced. Saying they didn't have a plan, I'm, I'm, that's not true. They did. Um, it was just a failure across the board. They just got, uh, Dave Aranda completely pantsed Lincoln Riley on Saturday. And, I, you know, uh, gee, I mean, just just a grab bag of thoughts just running through my head. Like, I mean, um not only you bring up the issue with the bye, and I, you know, I, I think that's a little misleading because you bring up the college football playoff on one of them. Uh, the Kansas State one, that was just a freak game. They were up by three scores with 16 minutes to go in that game. They were moving the ball well in that game. The offense wasn't really the problem. Things just sort of spiraled out of control. Uh, the, the Iowa State loss in 2017, disappointing, obviously, against a backup or the, their third-string quarterback, no less. But that would that game also was kind of fluky. The offense moved the ball pretty much at will that entire game. Iowa State made some big plays in the moments where they absolutely had to have it. Um, it's, it's it's not necessarily the bye week that I would point out. It's the fact that I think there is a documented history of Lincoln Riley really struggling to adjust his game plan mid game. Um, I, I I do I I think that's there. I really do think that's there. Just, I mean, look at this game for, for, I mean, if you just want to use one piece of evidence, I mean, it was Baylor did the same thing on defense the entire game, the entire game, two deep safeties. They would bring Jalen Petrie up to put pressure on every now and then. Other than that, they played just nice, sound, fundamental defense. And they had guys who knew they were supposed to be and knew what gaps that they were, that they were accounting for. That was it. That was it. And so I, you know, yeah. hey, I'm not, I'm not a genius. I, I'm not going to sit here and say if they would have done this and this and this, then they would have been fine. I don't know, but Lincoln Riley is the one who's paid millions of dollars to figure this out. And I, I mean, anyone can watch that game, especially on offense on Saturday, and realize that something was off, something was wrong. And uh, I, I, I would really love to know what it was. I, I just, I don't, I don't understand what they were trying to do a vast majority of the time. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch the All-22 of the Oklahoma offense. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping I get a chance to look at that because seemingly there was plenty of snaps in this game where you got Caleb Williams hanging back there with a lot of time to throw and nobody to throw it to. And, and I want to see what the route concepts are. I want to see if he's missing something. I, I'd like to see if he's missing a check down because it's hard to tell whenever uh, you know the, the TV copy. And I, I've kind of complained about this here and there over, you know, about Oklahoma and it's it's nitpicking a lot of the time and it definitely gets more highlighted in games like this when the offense it's I mean that's the worst offensive output since Riley has been the head coach and maybe maybe since he's been at Oklahoma Grant I think and I you would, would know it, better it, than me the it'd be between that and 2015 Texas uh would it'd be a it'd be a toss-up between those two I would say you could probably you could probably throw uh the Peach Bowl against LSU in there as well I think uh, but that's that LSU team was the best team of all time, so I, I don't. I'm I'm willing to kind of <laughs> be okay with that one. Um, uh, no, but but what I was going to say though, the thing that I that seems kind of nitpicky that I, I feel like I have noticed a lot is sometimes I 
I'll, when they do show those all 22 replays or they'll show a certain side of the field on certain situations, it, it always it seems like there's a lot of times where there's not a guy over the middle of the field or like an intermediate route that I mean, sometimes there's a check down out of the backfield here and there. So that's that's something. But it always kind of seems like maybe there's three three guys just kind of running goes and there's not a whole lot of difference in the route concepts, which if they're all kind of covered up and there's nobody kind of running different levels, different parts of the field. There's not going to be able to be open, and it's going to be difficult for a guy like Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler to find an open man. One of the things that um, one of the things just while watching the game too that that stood out to me. I mean, look, I mean, Caleb Williams threw the ball only 19 times in the game, so I mean, let's like let's. So it's not like there was a ton of opportunities there. They they ran the ball more than they threw it in the game too, uh, and it ran a lot of plays. But also, I, I I thought it was really curious. I didn't see a single easy throw for Caleb Williams that was schemed up during the game. Not one. Not not a single like little swing pass to 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 a receiver where other receivers are out blocking. I didn't see that once during the game. I saw you saw that a lot at the beginning of the Texas Tech game. Um I'm I, gonna go I'll 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 push back on that already. I mean the I mean the third down swing pass over to Eric Gray that he picked up those yards. I mean that was a easy swing pass where Jaden Hazelwood probably got away with a hold. That was in the second the quarter. There. That was the second quarter, man. And they didn't they didn't ever go back to that. And so that was one of the things that I that I forgot to mention last week on the show is that I thought this was a game where we could see Eric Gray's breakout. And I, I guess I did mention it because Iowa State threw the ball to Brees Hall a lot against Baylor and had a lot of success doing it on Dylan Doyle. And so Dylan Doyle, who I think is good in the box, and his guy had had a good game. He was a guy they could have absolutely exploited in coverage with the running back. Eric Gray, you know. More specifically, I didn't see any of that. I just I didn't see anything to get Caleb Williams in rhythm, like whatsoever, none. And and like let's like let's I mean let's back up a little bit too and just say I mean this very clearly a huge pump the brakes game on on Caleb Williams. Um, you know I'm I'm maybe in the fan base someone who is who's maybe the most guilty of that. Um, but also at the same time it's hard it was hard to watch it and and not think that he's been he's being put in terrible positions. Uh, there was just I. Is it as easy as as maybe just saying Dave Aranda just has Lincoln Riley's number, and it's just he just when Dave Aranda's on the other sideline, Lincoln Lincoln Riley just does not know what to do whatsoever. Yeah, it's it certainly seems like that. And I, as you were talking, I was going through because I hadn't done this yet. Because uh, you were talking about Baylor's defense did the same thing over and over again. I'm assuming they did a lot of the same things they've done on tape that, that, that you have. I mean, you watched a little bit more Baylor than I had. Uh, and, I, I didn't, that, I didn't see that much too deep safety with Baylor going into the, I didn't see that much of it. Okay. Cause I was going to say, I mean, this is a, D, a team that we pointed out last week. That's given up a lot of explosive plays. I mean, they've given up almost as many as Oklahoma this year. It was something like 44 coming into this game. And so this is a defense that's, that's given up all these big-time plays, most of them through the air, and the only explosive play Oklahoma got the entire game was that late one to Jaden Hazelwood where he broke a tackle and ran for 50 yards. It, I mean, it's a, a pointless play. It doesn't, that play didn't matter, so I, I mean, I didn't it, yeah, see it. it. But, so um, they, they had zero explosive plays before essentially garbage time when the game was over. That is, that's a problem and shocking. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I would have to go back and rewatch uh, some, of the, some of the other games. But they, they definitely had more guys in the box against TCU, obviously, because they, I mean, they were going against a quarterback making their very first start. Um, and it makes me wonder if OU's game plan was, we're going to chuck it deep on these dudes because that's what they give up deep passing plays. But then when you watch it, it's like, it, did it never occur to OU 
that Baylor that maybe Baylor would play like soft zone, soft deep zone the entire time. Kind of like how what everyone sans Texas and others have done have done to them. And maybe just and when that came out they just didn't know what to do. They couldn't because they weren't they weren't getting a big enough push on the offensive line. Um, I thought they were they were they were having some sort of success running the ball between the tackles, just kind of on straight inside zone. And by a little success, I mean they were able to get three or four yards every now and then. Um, but I mean anything with counter, any anything with pulling linemen was getting freaking blown up every single time. Yeah, and so I noticed. I'm trying to think of the play. I, I took a bunch of notes and I rewatched it. I think it was later in the game. You know how, like, uh, I don't know if you read my opening take, but I, I by the way, I, I put it on Twitter as well. So if you want to see those plays I was talking about, I put it on my Twitter account, at Lee Benson News 9. Uh, everything except for the last touchdown run by Bohannon, I didn't put that on there. As I was watching Baylor's defense, uh, disciplined, like, assignment sound, when I see their edge players or... Like, for example, whenever Oklahoma does their GT counter or just any sort of zone read concept, they have a guy there that was coming up to check Caleb Williams, to check to be the edge guy, to make sure that if Caleb Williams kept the ball, there'd be a guy there. And then if Caleb Williams didn't keep the ball, that player was then like he saw it and then and would go and try to get the running back or if the play was extended out to the edge then he would be out there to try to help and extend the play and set the edge even more like there Baylor can is example you can play aggressive smart defense but also not be that super aggressive and just run with your hair on fire every single snap like it seems like Oklahoma does I mean that's like Oklahoma style like they're front four it's the ball snapped and they just start sprinting wherever they and it, it, I'm so confused and curious as to why it seems like they don't have a built-in one of the guys on the line of scrimmage is not really the edge player it's almost like they ask their linebackers or their safeties to come down and be that that edge guy to, to scrape across or whatever that gap is on the outside the d gap i guess if you want to get really technical and that doesn't seem to really work that doesn't work because when you when you watch those plays that i talked about in the opening take where bohannon keeps it and you have the tight end coming around as an extra blocker you see a Pat Fields or you see uh, Brian Asamoah, you see or, or a Justin Broyles' nickel coming down to kind of that edge part where I guess maybe they're supposed to be, but it doesn't matter because there's two guys there to block them. So like Baylor's got them outnumbered to where it'd be sure great if that, that end, whether it's the rush linebacker or the defensive end, whoever was on that side they're picking on, it'd be great if that person was not crashing down and he was actually there to wait and set the edge to get the, get an extra player in there, but and, and that's what Baylor saw on tape because they did it against Kansas. They did it, and Baylor's like, okay, we're just gonna pick on Oklahoma, and it worked every single time. Here is something though. I mean, just just to give Baylor a little bit of credit, and maybe this explains why maybe they weren't ready for these keepers. One thing I did notice, Lee, watching the four or five games of Baylor to prep for the podcast, Gary Bohannon never kept anything ever. That he he they were very rarely running zone reads where he was free to keep it. Or if he was, he always handed it off. I didn't see him keep it once in any of the games that I watched. So that was new. Gary Bohannon keeping it was was something that, at least in the five games I watched, Baylor had not shown yet. So, and, but, but, but honestly, though, if, if you're OU and you're watching film and you don't think that they're going to have Gary Bohannon keep it just for this game, you're freaking stupid. Because I've seen Bohannon... 
scramble and move. He can move. We obviously saw him that he can move. And so, yes, you are correct. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. But the thing is, in the very first snap of the second half, when Bohannon did that, and it was the exact same play that Kansas burned them on over and over and over again, that's when somebody up top got a, got a single down to Alex Grinch. Some got to be some communication saying, hey, Guys, they, they ran the same exact play Kansas killed us on. We got to be aware of this, that this can come back. We have to make sure that we we uh, respect Bohannon running because they're probably going to run that play again. <laughs> they're probably And they did on the same, on the first play of every single drive until Oklahoma finally decided that they wanted to stop it. And that's whenever Jeff Grimes, the OC, either called a straight run play to Abram Smith or it was the same exact play and Bohannon did what he was supposed to when he saw Nick Benito set the edge. He handed the ball off to the running back, which is what you're supposed to do on the zone read. And because Shane Witter was convinced that they were going to keep it with Bohannon, he was like, ah, here we go. I'm going to I'm gonna help out here, the edge guy. I'm going to come off, scrape off the edge, and we're going to blow up Bohannon in the backfield here. And Bohannon was like, okay, I'm just going to hand the ball off here. And there was a giant vacated space there on the backside of the play, and it was one-on-one between Smith and Pat Fields. That That's just, it's smart offensive play calling. But I guess my biggest point is that I've noticed this. I'm not a college football coach. So these guys that are paid to do it, they obviously can see it. It's very simple. Why is it so easy for opposing teams to see this on film against Oklahoma's defense and know they're going to get free yards, essentially, against the Sooners? And that's, I mean, that's something that Iowa State, Iowa State is going to run that play over and over and over again. Problem. So yeah, I, they're I, smart. I, they're going to figure it out. One of the yeah, one, one of the things um, that I think is, and this is kind of more. This has come after the game and sort of my thought process. One of the more disheartening things about this game is that you saw them lose, and honestly, lose pretty decisively when the opposing quarterback was awful. Gary Bohannon was awful on Saturday. I mean, when when he dropped back to pass, uh, he was he he was such a positive for OU's defense whenever he dropped back to pass. I mean, he was just, that was the worst quarterback performance in OU uh, Sands, Western Carolina, anyone that OU has played this year. Like, I mean, by far. Bohannon was heinously terrible throwing the ball on Saturday. And and you still lose (laughs) decisively like that. That's unacceptable. So, uh, I mean, that's quite hyperbolic. I, I mean, there's probably been some worse performances, but... That's your bit. You're more hyperbolic. He was he was bad. You're right. He was awful. Like we talked, we commented on uh, Donovan Smith, the tech backup that came in, and that guy, that guy wasn't very good. And you look at his game against Iowa State. I think he he tore up Iowa State last week and he, had great numbers. Yeah, he had like he had like like four touchdowns. He threw over 300 yards. So good on that guy. Uh, Bo Hannon was was not good. And you you pointed it out. You said last podcast he's a one read quarterback. And there was one play early on in the game, and, and I emailed you my rewatch notes. Just, and I don't know if th- if you read this part of it, but uh, on Baylor's first series of the game, and again, you just said that you watched on tape. Like, Bohan is pretty clearly a one-read guy. Like, if it's not there, he's either going to go off it and run, or he's going to panic and do something. I saw him. I, I put in the the Baylor Texas game. Watched the first half of that. I saw Bohannon throw a really bad pick over the middle of the field in that game. I thought, oh, geez, Louise. And so going into that, you think Oklahoma should know that as well defensively. And there was one play early in the game, second down and 10 from Oklahoma's 40-yard line. And Baylor is in a three-by-one set. 
They have a single receiver to the boundary, and Pat Fields is the boundary safety. And you got Key Lawrence down playing press man against Tyquan Thornton, who's the receiver. I think Thornton, would you, he's their best receiver, him and Sneed, right? I mean, that's fair. Yeah, you're, you're nodding your head. And so you got the best receiver down there, single coverage to the boundary. You got three receivers to the other side of the field. And at the snap, like, Pat Fields turns his body like he's facing the field side of the formation, watching the route concepts across the other side of the field, like to the trip side. And his back is turned to the single receiver, Thornton and Key Lawrence. So it's, it's essentially Key Lawrence just by himself on an island out there. And Bohannon completes a 10-yard slant to Thornton. And the entire time, Bohannon's eyes immediately locked on to Tyquan Thornton. At the snap, you can see his head locks on at the snap. And if Pat Fields is reading Bohannon's eyes from the snap like a safety in his position is normally supposed to do because he's not playing man. And a lot of the times Oklahoma safeties come down, they play, they play a man concept or a cover four concept where it's a hybrid man and they can come up and stop the run. He's not playing man here. So he should be reading the quarterback's eyes. And if he would have done that, it would have taken him to a really easy interception because he's staring him down the entire time. And... He could have snuck up, picked the ball off, and it could have been a pick six. But it's 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 a ten yard gain, and and you see it, and you're like, oh man, Key Lawrence, like just just barely missed it there, as his arm didn't get in there. But no, I mean, this is one of those things where it boggles my mind watching this team. It doesn't make sense to me watching this defense because instead of Fields reading the quarterback's eyes and letting the quarterback take him right to a really easy interception. He's watching the backside of the play on the, the not even watching the quarterback, and he takes himself out of the play completely, and it doesn't he doesn't factor in at all. And this is like I watch this play, and I think uh, Jason Taylor at Oklahoma State, Colby Harvell Peel at Oklahoma State, uh, any Iowa State safety, any Baylor, these guys make that play. They pick that ball off. They read the quarterback's eyes. They take him to the play. And it's an easy interception. Why is like the veteran safety at Oklahoma? Why can't he do that? It. it it blows and my I think mind. A lot, man. I think I think what you're doing here, you're you're speaking a lot to situational awareness as well. In that situation, you're in second and ten. That's a passing down. Um, the chance the chances are they're going to drop back and pass on this play. You have Tyquan Thornton by himself on one side of the field. Pat Fields knows what the play is. He knows that Key Lawrence is manned up on this guy. You know that Gary Bohannon is a one read dude. You know that Tyquan yep. Thornton is their best receiver. You know that he's manned up. You know that Gary Bohannon probably knows that too. Where do you think he's going to go with the ball? It, and it's not like the back side of the play where, where, where Fields was looking to all that trip side. It's not like there was he was the safety responsible from going over the top there. Delarian Turner yell was back deep. He was a deep safety. It was a, it was a two deep shell. So it, it's not like I don't understand why he was looking across the field at away from Gary Bohannon. I, it just it's like the times whenever they're supposed to be reading the quarterback's eyes, they don't. In the times where they they are reading the quarterback's eyes, maybe they're playing man or something, and they get lost. I don't know, man. It's just I I know it feels like you're picking on people, but you, Pat Fields is a, is an adult. He's been playing on this team for years. He's a senior. I I'm going to point it out, and I just don't get it. Maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe uh like he's supposed to do what he was doing, and if that's the case, my question is, well, why is your your deep safety not reading the quarterback's eyes and not playing? center field why is he watching it's like it's almost like he was a linebacker in charge of 
kind of watching to see if a guy ran into his zone and he would pick him up across the zone, like in the intermediate route. I've never seen a safety play it like that, where they're kind of switching their, their hips and looking to the side. And he was so far away from everybody else. So I just that I saw that play and I thought, oh my gosh, that's a that is a free interception. That is a free interception in a defense that talks about turnovers and takeaways and stuff. How are you not putting yourself in the position to get that free interception? So that I mean that's a that's uh, a thing. Like if I'm a if I'm a Baylor fan, I mean going against any team with a with a with a halfway decent defense, you got to be terrified of Gary Bohannon back there. I mean, he is, he's not good. I don't, I don't know how he put up the numbers he did in the first half of the season. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe it's just their, their run game is just had, had just leaned on, you know, on people so hard, uh, that he was still able to hit some of those. I mean, I mean, he, he missed that shot where DJ Graham just got totally cooked by, by Thornton off the line. And he, dude, he was wide open by 10 yards and Bohan just free airmailed him, man. Just, yeah, that was lucky. Oh, you got lucky. Yeah, and so Another situation. Uh. Yeah, it got lucky, and then hey, hey, but still in that situation, you're you're still talking about a game in which OU's defense had given up ten points going into the fourth quarter. I, if OU's defense has only given up ten points going into the fourth quarter at this program, OU should be up by three or four scores. Yeah, and the fact that they weren't, that's on Lincoln Riley, man. I mean, that's one hundred percent on the head guy. Because he's he's in charge of getting them into the end zone, and he wasn't able to do it. Because you know, uh, hey, so that's a good trip. as 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 many as 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 many mistakes as the defense made, and you know what? I feel like they made a, a kind of average number of mistakes in in this game that they have all season long. I thought they made more plays than they typically do this year. The defense did make enough plays for them to win this game. Just the offense, the, the offense, and we've said it so many times I, since Alex Grinch got here. The offense, or and it's been in the reverse, the offense just did not hold up their end of the bargain. They didn't play complimentary football. The defense put the offense in a lot of positions to be successful in that game. Got them the ball back when they really needed to. Um, and then until the fourth quarter when the dam broke. And it, it, it broke with, with the 75-yard run uh, from Abram Smith. That, that's, it took one play. It took one play. But, I mean, up, up to that point, you were kind of, you were, the offensive play calling and the offense's performance in general was forcing that defense to be perfect for the most part. And geez, man, when you when you force that defense, what we've seen this year, to be perfect too many times, of course it's gonna burst eventually. Yeah. And it did. I mean, but like I mean, let's let's be real though. In in a game in which OU is is operating at peak efficiency in that game, and if you take the exact same defensive performance, OU should have been up thirty five to ten going to the fourth quarter of that game. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. I know I'm focusing a lot on the defense in this podcast, and it's probably not very fair because, like I said in the opening take, the defense certainly played well enough to win. They were great at the start. I mean, getting off the field, getting out of there without giving up any points down in the, down in the red zone. Brian Asamoah met, probably played his best game of his career. How often does that was, happen? How often do they get people out without scoring a touchdown in the red zone? That doesn't happen very often. It, it doesn't. When it that doesn't. happened... They, when that happened, my like my the mojo and my mind started changing. I was like, oh, I was like, the defense may have came to play today. Maybe this is going to be like you know, kind of the West Virginia or Nebraska game or, or something. Um, they wanted it to be, but I mean, OU's offense just couldn't couldn't move the chains enough for them to to get the defense off the field long enough. Yeah, it, it's it was it was really impressive to see the defense. I mean, again, Asamoah 
was fantastic. Uh, he he made plays that kept points off the scoreboard. I mean, he had a, a quarterback hurry on that fourth down that forced Bohannon to throw the ball quick, you know, before he wanted to. That was incomplete. Uh, on the drive where Baylor missed their field goal in the first half, before that happened on that play, Asamoah had a TFL that that pushed him back that made the field goal longer. Uh, he that's a great play. He uh, was really Joel, great play. Yeah, Joe Clapp pointed out on the Delarian Turner yell interception that. Osmo did a good job of sprinting back to undercut that route to help out that made it to where there was I mean that was a terrible decision by Bohannon I don't know where he was throwing it nobody was open Delarian Turner yell had he's good a one coverage. read guy he looked he looked at the pre-snap he probably thought it would be open yep and he sucks that's exactly so it. he didn't see that it wasn't open <laughs> so yeah and, and then not to mention in the second half when Baylor looked like Baylor was kind of starting to get going in the second half Asamoah comes in and punches the ball out and just bullies the ball out and Oklahoma takes over uh, when Baylor was going in, I think, in Oklahoma's red zone. So he played well. I'm glad you you made that transition because you're right. The offense was the main culprit. And, I mean, Caleb Williams, we've talked about him a little bit. His two interceptions were awful. I mean, the the second one was probably the worst play of his football career. I, I That that was so bad. Uh, the first one, he was just trying to force it. It was third down. It could have been worse. Yeah, a, a punt would have probably been better, but at least there was like thirty yards of net. Uh, still, it was a, there was nobody and open, they didn't, it was and they didn't give decision. any points. And they, they yeah, it didn't it didn't yield any points. Yeah, both of them, neither one. But here's the thing, though, that second pick, it kind of did seem like that pick came on the third play of that series. It was the opening series of the first half. Oklahoma had a bit of a bit of rhythm in those first two plays. They hit Stogner for a first down. Kennedy Brooks had a nine yard run. Great vision by him. And then that play happened, and it was like all the momentum back to Baylor. So it seemed like they were kind of figuring it out. And, and then, then the defense got him off the field again. And that's when the defense got him off the field the rest of the third quarter whenever they had to. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, and I don't know when we get into it. I, it's, of course, it is a grab bag here. And then, I, I'm sorry, just like the, um, and maybe people who are watching it live and were into the flow of the game can maybe talk me out of this, but... The decision to go to Rattler was utterly bizarre. It was just a really terrible decision. It was a terrible decision in the moment. It it proved to be a terrible decision as as those two drives that he was in played out. It's just like Baylor knows that you're going to come in and throw the ball, and you're just making their game plan easier for them because now they don't have to account for Rattler in the run game. So, I, and that was that was such a terrible decision by Lincoln Riley. And so, like I, okay, so. I had a weird experience with that because one of my good friends was in town and you know I, I got to go into work and I'm watching the game at home, but I got to go into work. So I'm, I always try to time it up to where I'm not really missing a lot of game on TV, but my buddy had to go somewhere. So I, I had to drive him around. So anyway, I listened to the last quarter and change on the radio and that's whenever they brought in Rattler. And so I, I didn't, you know, my whole my first experience of it was through Toby Rowland on the radio and Teddy Lehman and, and, and Gabe Eichert and those guys and Chris Plank. And I remember thinking whenever they went to Rattler, I kind of thought in my head, well, the last thing I saw from Caleb Williams before I, you know, left, I was like, he's not playing very well. He's not good. Uh, all right, like, I guess they're throwing out Rattler there because the way Riley said it, like, Riley said it, he's like, I got two, got two really good guys in my quarterback room. And my thought was like, well, he thought Caleb Williams is not playing well. So, heck, maybe this other really good player can figure it out and see something that Caleb's not seeing. And so, <clears throat> uh, in the moment, or at least on the radio, I didn't really think much of it. 
and you know obviously it didn't work out. Upon rewatching it, it it seems a little bit more bizarre rewatching it. But I'm not sure if that's because I know what happened with Rattler. I knew like how the game played out. Uh, or or what? But I, I'm kind of with you. Is is the whole thing is like, well, Caleb's not playing well, but Caleb can move, and Spencer Rattler really can't. So maybe you know, maybe Riley thought that Caleb was was missing open throws, and like he just wasn't seeing it. And he thought, well, Spencer Rattler can come in. He's more of a veteran player, and he'll see these open throws. He'll maybe he'll pull the trigger. He'll throw it. But we found out in those two series when Rattler was out there, that wasn't necessarily the case, and it it was almost immediate. How, how much of a difference the athleticism is between Williams and Rattler because on third down, Rattler's first series, uh, Rattler escapes the pocket, has room to run, and then he gets tripped up by a guy who's kind of just swiping at him for a sack. Like, not much brought him down. And, and, and then the next time, he sure. gets sacked again when, and he was kind of brought down by one arm. And it's just like, uh, this guy, it's just, I, this is this is the last, I mean, this is it for Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. I mean, it, it, that that's kind of the nail in his coffin. Like, all right, man, that was your that was your kind of second to last chance. Because think about it, the last time we saw Rattler, I know it was garbage time, but the whole team rallied around him. It was great. It was cool. And maybe Riley thought, hey, there was a, a cool spark, even though maybe he can get it here against Baylor. And it sure kind of looked like maybe on that first snap, going deep to Mike Woods, something might have happened. Uh, they miss a PI. Granted, it would have just been a 15-yard penalty, but who knows what would happen if they would have thrown the flag or if if Woods would have made the yeah. Catch. That was uh, what that's like. Okay, like this doesn't. This obviously doesn't doesn't forgive, you know, any of the the offensive limitations for the game. What what an unforgivable miss by by the officials on that play. That's that's just awful. That was awful. Just um just pulling him down. I mean, you can't get more obvious than that. So, um, but you know, going back to the, to the Rattler thing though. And I, I just, I, I, I don't think it's, I honestly don't think going to him is justifiable at all. Like not even a little bit. Um, you have a guy, Caleb Williams and like, let's be completely real. Caleb Williams is so clearly better than Spencer Rattler. Uh, the, like I, I, I don't, I don't understand how you can, you can even have this, this mindset of, oh, maybe this guy will give us a spark. That's, that's just wrong. You took the guy off of the field who is your best playmaker in a one-possession game when you were only down by three points. We've seen numerous times Caleb Williams turning absolutely nothing into something. It hadn't happened yet during that game, but honestly, at that point in the game, I still was feeling pretty good about Caleb's ability to eventually figure it out. And so I'm not saying... I'm I'm not saying that if they would have left Williams in there, he would have figured it out. No, you would have won the game. It's not what I'm saying. But what you did, you, what you did was you took away your biggest wild card, your biggest X factor. That was so stupid. Under in no universe is that the right call, unless Caleb's hurt. That's the only time where he like. And I know he got his hand stepped on, and it was his throwing hand, I believe. The only way that that's justifiable is if he's too hurt and he can't throw the ball. But he came back in the game. So you know that wasn't the case. Just I, that that's that's the one thing about this game. Hey, you know what? Lincoln Riley has has a bad game plan. That happens every now and then. It really does. That happens. You know, sometimes some sometimes other programs can get away with it in some years, just maybe based on brute force or your offensive line being really good or someone making a play. Um as soon as Lincoln Riley went to Spencer Rattler, you removed that variable from the game. 
Yeah, so you, you I, just you, you made you made Baylor's job just so much easier. And again, I agree. Yeah, I, it, they it's weird taking them out. Uh, I'm not as forceful with it just because I I really do believe I I know exactly what Lincoln, what Lincoln Riley was thinking. Uh, I and it makes me kind of wonder because he's getting too cute. The, the last far too series, cute. the last series before Williams was taken out on first down and ten, he airmailed Austin Stogner wide open. And it was the first time this season I can remember that Caleb Williams just straight up missed a layup throw. I mean, that's, it was a 25, 30-yard gain just left on the table. And it made me wonder if, if that was if, – if Riley was like, ah, he, okay, like he's not seeing things. He's not throwing the ball well. He's not in a rhythm. I think that this guy here panic move. can do it. Panic move. And maybe straight it was. panic move. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. And, and it, it, in a so game I, in I which just, at that time your defense was playing well, they continued to get your offense the ball back. You took your best player off the field. That's unforgivable. Unforgivable. Even if he wasn't... Baker Mayfield was the best player on the 2015 team. He was utterly terrible against Texas that season. Just terrible. Awful. Never took Baker off the field then. Well, who was their backup? I, it's, it's, I mean, it's... Trevor Knight? Was it Trevor Knight time? It would have been Trevor Knight. But yeah, a guy who's won plenty of games as a starter. He could have justified that. Like, I just... I, I don't... What I mean, I, I would love to actually hear like someone who who kind of agrees with the decision or, or can actually justify it. But I, I, I think it's legitimately one of the worst decisions he's ever made as a head coach in that moment. It was stupid. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not like I, I think it was probably not the right move, but I, I'm not as fired up about it as you are. Uh, but I know people- it's, all, it's also an impossible position. You just put Spencer Rattler in an impossible position. I, you thought that there was a lot of pressure on him. During you know the the we want Caleb chance yeah think about that situation that's not an impossible position no it's it's and a guy you, that and, no it's it's Rattler has nothing to lose he's got nothing to lose going out there he's like yeah all right here we go I'm gonna try to win my I'm gonna, I'm gonna play and he didn't play very well it's not an impossible what do you mean position he's got, what do you mean he's got nothing to lose except the game well no at that point I mean Rattler had already been benched so it's like hey man like go out there like free flowing and like he took a shot and like his main downfall was his lack of athleticism. And also his poor pocket presence because there was a play as they were kind of moving the ball on his second series, kind of getting in a, in a rhythm. They called that drag play where they drag a guy across and they bring him a, you know, behind the line of scrimmage so people can get up, start blocking, you can get downfield. And they had Mike Woods and he, he breaks open and Rattler feels a little bit of pressure, panics and, and goes up into the pocket too quickly and then tries to run like he's Caleb Williams and he gets a yard and it's... If he would have held on to the football and let Mike Woods clear, he throws the Woods and let, let that guy run with the football. And so I, every issue with Rattler kind of came out and saw enough, and then Caleb came back into the game. The problem was Oklahoma couldn't get off the field, and it was too late. So, I, yeah, I, I think it was a weird move. I'm not as fired up about it as you are, as I know other people I've talked to are. There's other people that are just as fired up about it as you are, Grant. I know that. It was, uh, but, it, it, was, it was a wasted two drives in a one-possession game in the second half on the road. You put your best player on the bench. So stupid. It was so stupid. He got too cute. I'm just more frustrated. Got too cute. I'm just more frustrated that they were so unprepared and ill-prepared from the, the onset. And I, I wouldn't be as... I, I'd probably be a lot more fired up if Caleb wasn't playing so bad. I mean, he was so bad. And I, I get that the idea... that Your point is that Yes, he was bad, but he has the ability to figure it out. And, and I, I'm with you. I agree. I agree. He, 
yes, he, he probably could have figured out he has a higher ceiling than Spencer Rattler. That at the same time though, I again I if the throwing and finding stuff and that's what Rattler's good at, that's probably what Lincoln Riley thought. And he's like, I'll give this a shot, and it didn't work out. It backfired. And so I mean, and you just hope you hope now uh, you hope that Caleb Williams isn't screwed up in the head now. Is he is he going to be looking behind his behind his back now? Makes one bad play. Oh crap! Am I going to get oh, replaced? I mean, I wouldn't. No, like because Rattler didn't play well. Like it's over. It's over. I mean, Caleb Williams is the guy. That's what I think. I mean, I who knows? I guess we don't. I don't know what's in Riley's head, but I mean, that was pretty clear to me. I mean, it brought him back into the game. Caleb Williams comes down. They score a touchdown. Like it. That's it. I mean, sorry. Like in my opinion, Spencer Rattler. That was kind of his last potential chance. Like not that he was going to get the job back from Caleb, anyways, but. Um, yeah, it just it, it didn't work out for him, and I, yeah, I, there's so many things, but yeah, that's that's a huge one. Yeah, uh, I guess you know, hey, I mean, and we can go into um, just to move on a little bit. I mean, we can go into what you know what you would have liked to see more from the offense. I don't know, I, but what I would have liked to see is is something that we just don't really see a lot from this offense, and I, I just they should have spread them out more. They should have been in ten personnel. Should have been an empty a lot more. Um, that's how you're going to get the quarterback run game going against a team like Baylor. You gotta use the space, space, and you know I, I just I didn't see that a lot. I saw, I, I saw a lot of multiple tight ends in the game. I saw a lot of that stuff, and I just, I don't, I, I just don't know if that was the right call going against Baylor. I, I it, another one of those games. Ironically, I think they would have been better off if he would have stuck a little bit more to his air raid roots, spread you out, and just and chuck it around the field as much as you can. Um, I, I think that that would have by far been the best. Uh, if you really wanted to throw the ball, that would have been the way to do it against the, the look that they were showing. I think he wanted to throw it a lot. I mean, there was times where they were trying to take shots. I mean, like how many times he did, did yeah, Williams hang back there and just they clearly had the top-down approach. And I mean, the, the one, I mean, took a shot to Marvin Mims. That was a great defensive play. That guy got his hand in at the very last second. Uh, like, I don't know what Marvin Mims is supposed to do there. What another odd game. Marvin Mims was awful. Um, he had that I know blatant he had, drop. Um but it didn't matter because they got bailed out because Baylor got called for a, a holding on that play, so that the drive continued. Um, there was yeah, there's another but like where's like what? Not even not even a single little. I, I guess I don't know what the what the fifty yarder to Hazelwood looked like, but not a single little quick hitter to Hazelwood. Not not one. Or like to Mario get, to Williams. Try to get up field, Mario Williams get someone is supposed in a rhythm. To be super f- Mario Williams is supposed to be super fast, like that. or Mario yeah. Williams. Not, not none of that. It, it it doesn't seem like Oklahoma, and this is kind of more of the. Uh, I know this is what you like, and this is where I, I'm not so sure about in football because it sounds just too easy. It sounds just too easy, and there's got to be more to it. But you always talk about, uh, and and I, I know it's possible at certain times to match up hunt and try to get one of your guys against one of their guys. And the thing is, Baylor doesn't play a lot of man, so a lot of it would have been a lot of a lot of zone. But then I guess what you got to do is you got to you got to hunt for cover two beaters and cover three beaters and things like that because those do exist. And the play to Stogner that he airmailed that was a good I believe cover I can't remember if it was a cover two beater or cover but it was it, it got the the safety going one way and Stogner going back the other way he was wide open. Uh, so like I guess it's it's more difficult to do matchup hunting against a a zone defense like that. You see a lot more against man. Against Oklahoma, you can match up on all day, all day. I mean, because Oklahoma plays for sure. so much. And man. then also, and also, I mean, if 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 you are gonna do, um, if if they're gonna be playing that too deep shell look too, that that's when you want to have a good power running game. 
obviously as well. And OU, they don't have that. They don't have that this season. Their nope. their power run game is typically GT counter. They can't block that up though. At least not not with any sort of consistency. So there was a couple, um, at least one time where I, I, the reason maybe that didn't work as well in this game because like since Caleb Williams has been back or not back but in that plays worked a lot better because the backsides had to respect Caleb. Caleb wasn't pulling like he. There was one play where I recall where he his read was he should have pulled it and ran and he didn't and the play got blown up on the backside and so when he's not reading that properly then it's not going to help i mean if he's got to keep that respect he's got to be able to pull it to where they're not going to be able to attack from the backside and be so aggressive on it uh, but it's just one play i can remember maybe there was more let's get to three word reviews really fast before we get going here just could maybe spark some other conversation West of Evers Facebook page. Thank you guys for putting these up there. Harry says, beware the fans. Referencing the fans who stormed the field before the game was over. That was whole. That was weird. Uh, Shane says, classless Baylor coach. And Ryan says, classless Baylor fans. And so that's like another. We haven't talked at all about can the we way stop? the game can you just, can you explain to me what happened? Um, so, I mean, I, I, I know... Lincoln Riley complaining about anyone adding points in the game is such a terrible look. I don't care what the context is. Shut your mouth. Don't say stuff like that. That is just utterly... That that just shows a complete lack of self-awareness for the moment. Is this a competition or not? Like, I absolutely hated what he said after the game. Uh, so I don't... I didn't pull the clip, but I'll, I'll read you the verbatim. So he was asked just about the end of the game. And he said, uh, you know, all the, all the fans and stuff, he said, oh, it became a safety issue. I care about the safety of my players. I watched David Ogwebu get bum-rushed by three guys. And then he started talking about the field goal. Riley said, I know why Dave kicked the field goal. I don't agree with it. By the way, uh, so I guess the idea of kicking the field goal was for tiebreaker procedures in the Big 12, point differential, okay? Obviously, Dave Aranda knew about that going in, so that's why he did it. Uh, this is Riley continued. This is me from uh, this is Riley after the game. He says, I still think above all else. There's a code of sportsmanship. I believe in I wouldn't have done it, but that's his decision. It's his football team. How the officials don't enforce a 15 yard penalty when you probably got 5000 people on the field is unbelievable to me. It is what it is. That's his decision. The officials decision don't agree with it, but it's part of it. End quote. I, I'm I'm with Riley on the whole penalty part of it, but everything else about it, uh, I I agree. I didn't like it either. That's just not a good look. Uh, he it, it looks like, just, like it looks like mis misplaced anger after getting his butt kicked, and and that that's what it was. And uh, I get it. It's an emotional game. You always talk about it all the time, Grant. It's an emotional game. We, uh, but then again, at the same time, this is the part where we say, well, when you're the head coach, when you're the adult. And you get paid all this money. I know, I know. People are still emotional. I get it. We're all human. But you're kind of supposed to be the one to maybe go above the fray a little bit. And I guess he thinks he kind of was going above the fray by talking about sportsmanship. Makes me wonder if he could have that back you know, privately. Maybe he would say, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I, I know it wasn't a great look. Uh, in my opinion, you don't think so either. Uh, it's just... I Complaining about sportsmanship when a guy kicks a freaking field goal? Makes you look like a loser. Big time. Makes no, you look I'm, like a, a sour grapes loser. And I like that that's embarrassing. What he said after the game is embarrassing. 
Well, it's it's embarrassing. I mean, it's embarrassing to himself. And you know, we'll see if he can. I don't know. Let's let's see what happens moving forward. Uh, yeah, this, that was a weird situation. That whole thing. Um, like, what's he from, do? What, what, what is Baylor supposed to do? Just uh, just lay down. What? They can do they can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want, and they kicked your butt in the game. Yeah, I. I, I, I agree. I think it was if you gave him true serum, he would probably say no. Like, more of it was just because I was so mad that we got our butt kicked. And he was just taking it out on that. And he was mad about the field, the, all the fans on the field. It was just a whole thing. I, that, that's my opinion. I'm going to guess that's, and it just kind of came out that way. Still doesn't mean that it's any less, um, any less dumb. All right. Trey from the West of Ever's Facebook page says unbearable football game. Justin says Baylor, Baylor clearly better. And also, Superman found kryptonite. James says, Baylor more physical. James adds, Oklahoma is weak. Find the weight room. Get my point? <laughs> uh, Dan says, unprepared, outplayed, outcoached. Tim says, fundamentals still matter. These are all good, by the way, guys. These are good three-word reviews. I, I, I have no problem with any of these. Mark says, Aranda owns Riley. Barry says, outcoached, outplayed. Out, ooh, like out of the playoff. Yep, they're they're done unless some crazy happens. Uh, Nathan says higher in OC. I know that's kind of like a popular thing of like you know maybe Riley should have somebody that call plays so we can focus more on the coach stuff. That ain't ever gonna happen, man. He's he's calling plays. That's his thing. Philip says we were exposed. Michael says we are close. Then he puts the little uh, eye roll face. Yeah, I don't think we're going to hear Riley say we're close any anytime soon. What do you think, Grant? You think he's going to bring dust that one off anytime soon? Uh, we're we're close, close to what? I yeah. Hope not. I don't know. I it's it's a you know game like this. It's right. I mean, it's it's weird one because I mean, this is this is the latest that they've lost their first game since I've been an adult. I mean, it's the latest that it's they've they've lost their first game in a season since. I mean, since January of 2005, when they lost to USC. Um, and so, I, you know, you try not to live in the moment. You try to want to see the big picture. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to panic. But also at the same time, I mean, it, it, it's hard to come away from that game. I think there's something going on inside the locker room. There's something going on between, you know, in those walls that we're not privy to. There's something that's off. I, I really, I think that's the case. Um, and like, yeah, I, I think it's more going back to, you know, talking about hiring an, an OC or James talking about how they need to get in the weight room and stuff like that. I are more to James's side. There, there needs to be more of an edge in the program of physicality and being pissed off and wanting to hurt the other team. And I know that sounds bad, but like wanting to physically punish them. Um, oh, you don't have that. They don't have that. And you know, and here's and I'm gonna say something that's it until they get that, they're not gonna freaking sniff a national title. Period. Uh yeah, I genuinely uh, generally agree. And just the way that everything the way the game ended and the way, you know, Lincoln Riley was very mad and yelling at the refs after the game and the way he said and just the way the team acts, you know, and reacted and kind of this entire season when they have not played very well. But, you know, they, you know, Link, uh, um, Spencer Rattler, you know, he would kind of say some things that made it to where like it seemed like, oh, the fans don't know what we're talking about. Like, we don't know what we're seeing, you know, they don't know what they're and the Riley saying we're close. And it's like kind of saying stuff that's like 
not necessarily, like it's pretty obviously not true. And so this this kind of attitude, and I know it, I'm not the only one that's going to bring this up, but it, it definitely comes off as this team feels very entitled. Like they can show up and that's all it takes. Look no further than the Kansas game, which I will harp on again. This is why I paid attention to the Kansas game two weeks later, because it matters. And when they show up to a game like that, that matters a lot against a really good Baylor team on the road, and they don't look prepared at all on that first series, that's why stuff like that Kansas game matters. They don't, you can't just show up and beat people uh, when you're this Oklahoma team. Alabama can. Georgia can. But the, the, the thing is, though, they're not going to just show up. They're actually going to put the time in no matter who they're playing because that's how their their program, their, their culture of their program is built. It doesn't seem like that's the way Oklahoma's culture and his program is built. It's built to win Big 12 championships, and that's about it because it's they, they got close in one playoff game, should have won it. They lost a late lead, they, or they lost a big lead. That's it. Every other playoff game has been pretty one-sided. And as much as we want to see it change and get better, and we thought this might be the year, we get to a game like this, and all of the problems that have plagued Oklahoma this season, but they've been able to get out with wins that we've pointed out, like, uh, like we, and maybe this is one of those teams that just comes away with wins. All right, well, they play the best team they played all year, and they get beaten up pretty bad. I, I mean, it, it wasn't – the score was kind of close, I guess, for a lot of the game. But it wasn't. It wasn't close. I mean, thanks to the Oklahoma defense keeping it closer than it should have been, and that's that's an issue with the team. And I know after the game, one of the players, I think it might have been Delarian Turner Yell, said in the locker room after the game, Lincoln Riley told them that this game's either going to tear us apart or it's going to bring us together. Okay, like basically Iowa State this Saturday is going to tell us a lot about this team. At least that's going to be the, our, our first our first chance to see what this team really is. Uh, history has told us that when these Lincoln Riley teams get beat, they come back and they look pretty good. They look pretty hungry. They look better. Having lost this late in the year and essentially most likely losing out on like any sort of playoff chances, again, unless something crazy happens, how is, that gonna, how is this team going to come back? Uh, actually, I, I still think they're, they're – they're, 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 I think they're still in decent shape. Um, they're, they just really need Oregon to lose. That's basically it. Um, and went out. And even and even against Oregon, their their resume will probably look pretty good next to Oregon. But I but the the reason why we don't want to talk about that is because we just watched this team. Like they're not if 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 they're if they get to the point where they play at a playoff level, that's clearly going to be a huge surprise. Like that's not. Um, so no, I mean, I don't, I don't care about the playoff cause it doesn't seem like a realistic cause them winning three in a row at this point just doesn't seem particularly realistic based off what we just saw. Um, Baylor of these, you know, of the, of these three teams that they were going to play here in November, Baylor's got the worst defense of the three. They're, they're going to be playing better defenses. I don't know. These, I don't know about that. Two weeks. I mean, I was, and I, Oklahoma state's defense is legitimately very, I don't know. Good. I, Iowa state's defense all of a sudden must be bad because they're giving up a lot of points to not very good teams. Gave a lot of points to West Virginia. Gave a lot of points to Texas Tech. I don't know what's going on with Iowa State, but uh, uh, anyways, yeah. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense, sure. Like Oklahoma State's defense is exactly kind of like what we were hoping Oklahoma's defense could be with Alex Grinch in year three. You know, <laughs> like I mean, and, and honestly, we didn't even think it'd be this good. Oklahoma State's legitimately got one of the best defenses in college football. Uh, that is something to behold for Jim Knowles. 
And uh, yeah, I, I'll admit I haven't watched them as closely this season as I have in the past. So whenever we start preparing for Oklahoma State, that'll be fun. But or it'll be not fun. Like I don't even know what it is anymore. But heck, Iowa State, I, they're reeling. They're going to want to save their season, and they know they can beat Oklahoma. So, uh, oh, I, 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 I absolutely hate where they're catching Iowa State. I, I mean, it's awful. Especially after all year, I've said Iowa State's overrated. They're overrated. They're just Iowa State. They are just Iowa State. They're just as good as they've been the last two or three years. They're the exact same team. They've just they're the games that went their way last season are not going their way this year, basically. So I mean, it's it's going to be a rock fight, man. Like it's and that's that's if they don't just get totally blown off the field. I mean, they're going to have to come up ready, prepared to, and actually want to play. So I mean, because I don't. I am not concerned at all about Iowa State's ability to get up for this game. They're going to be ready to go. Like, obviously. I don't know if OU is going to be ready to go. So, I like, I, I obviously, like, you know, I hope that this is a situation where they come out on Saturday and it's just like, okay, they're, they're playing well. They're clearly engaged. And we can just sort, and whatever. It's just the Baylor game is just what it was. It's just another, you know, data point to this season, which has been a disappointing season, obviously. Um, but I don't know, man. I don't, I don't feel great. Uh, this is one of the after after this week after that game, at, that's that's one of the worst tastes in my mouth after an OU loss. Um, just because the situation surrounding it just felt different. Now that was just the um, that was the it, Jaeger it, 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 that you had had that you threw up. I think that that's that taste. All that uh, post uh, post Iowa Minnesota drinking. That, that's probably what that was, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I um. By the way, and uh, you know everyone who is who goes to OU games enormous of like isn't going to be surprised by this, but University of Iowa just yet yet another place that does tailgating and the game day experience way better than OU, of course. Which is which it, that's a choice by OU, by the way. And I, I haven't really talked about it that much on this uh, on the podcast, but yeah, ga- game day atmosphere and experience at OU is lacking quite a bit, and it's a choice. They need to do better there. Uh, let's finish up these three-word reviews from the Facebook page. Mark says, long time coming. Mark, obviously referencing all the close games. That's a good one. Let's go over to Twitter. Gonzo Strangelove, Gonzo Strangelove long-time listener, says, Inexclu- inexcusably unprepared again. I like that. Uh, offenses, foundational issue. And he's referencing the offensive line. And his last one is Godspeed, Caleb Kelly. So I guess Caleb Kelly, he got hurt again. He's out for the year. Uh, yeah, great guy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, great guy. Wish it would have been different. But he just, he's a guy that gets hurt a lot. It sucks for him. Uh, hopefully, I'm sure he'll, he's, a, he's the kind of person he'll be fine post-football. He's an engaging human. Uh, he'll be all right. Oh, yeah, that guy's going to be, he's, that guy's going to be a millionaire someday. Uh, he's just, I mean, he's just the way that guy carries himself. Um Oh, I, I was going to say something. I totally forgot it, though. Go I ahead. guess Gonzo Strangelove has one more. He says, send Grinch this. And he, he has a picture of tackling basics for youth football. <laughs> hey, there you go. I think that's one of the... I, I think that's probably the, 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 the data point right there. You can point to and you can say physicality is a problem in the... In the pro- tackling has been a problem this year. Um, especially in the open field one-on-one. And hey, I, I just... And say what you want. I watched I watched a Big Ten game in person um, on Saturday. I watched Iowa and Minnesota's defense 
tackle pretty consistently in the open field one-on-one, both defenses. If they can do it, there is no reason why Oklahoma can't do it. And I, I, I just, I have to deduct, I have to assume it's because of something they're doing in practice. I, and, and I'm just, this is coming from a guy who is a, who used to be a huge Peyton Manning Colts fan. Um, they struggled on defense for a lot of his tenure there because they never hit in practice. They never tackled. They weren't ever physical in practice. There is a cliche, a cliche out there, right, about offensive-minded head coaches always being sort of on that wavelength in practices, not being as physical, always looking out. That may be happening with OU's program. I, I really do think that that may be happening. Maybe, I, yeah. I mean, it goes. It's just. It, it's all about angles. It's all about. It's angles a guess. It's a guess. But they don't. Like, they just. They. They don't tackle well. And it's it's everybody. It's not just like the secondary. I mean, they're they're missed like Isaiah Thomas missed the TFL. Uh, there was there's. Oh my god! Like sorry, Caleb Kelly. He did a good job setting the edge, and he had a tackle for loss. Missed it. The guy spun out, and then like picked up four yards. Tristan Ebner. It's just. There were three, yeah, and it's it's set up their uh, it set up their yep. first touchdown. Uh, yeah. Um, there were, and I was to say there there were three or four missed TFLs in the back that were like bad that are in my mind, and they had eleven TFLs in the game. I kind of get the feeling though, if like they they were in the backfield, I, I was, they were in the backfield very yeah. consistently in this it, game. I'm gonna I'm gonna totally just blindside one of Oklahoma's best players here, but I I apologize, but I, also I kind of don't apologize. I get the feeling though. A lot of these situations, if uh, the ball carrier in the backfield getting the getting the handoff was Kennedy Brooks, Oklahoma would probably be a lot better at getting the guy to the ground. <laughs> it seems like all these big twelve, other Big Twelve running backs are so much shiftier and more agile, and can and Kennedy just that's not his game. I mean, he's he's a slow moving, patient dude, and yeah, like he's he's not like he'll make a guy miss every once in a while. But uh, anyways, yeah, just throwing him under the bus totally. Sorry, Kennedy, uh, you you weren't the problem on Saturday. All right, I'll try to get some of these three-word reviews on my face, uh, on my Twitter account. Uh, continuing, Skip says, uh, "I'll go." You got a lot of them, Skip. I'll go with no PIs called. It's interesting. Uh, Michael says, "What a mess." Caleb says, "Another day off." I think he's referencing the fact that Lincoln Riley was uh, unavailable on his uh, on Tuesday for media and and everything. That was uh, that was weird. Um, so yeah, when you end up getting beat that bad, then stuff like that gets highlighted more. It's like, oh, what was going on? What what happened? Where was he? Uh, Caleb also says Sooners are soft. Uh, Dan, you say keep playing Caleb, so he's with you. And yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think Caleb should have stayed in as well. I'm just not as fired up about it. Uh, let's see. Brian says Big Twelve or B Twelve Championship ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's. Kind of been historically. That's what it's been, and this year, uh, this year, yeah, I'm that's sure what, you know, hey, by, by Thursday this week, and hey, maybe even by Sun or by Wednesday when we're when we're recording, I'm sure my mind is what well, we'll move on, and I'll be ready. Like I, and you know, I I care about the Big Twelve championship. That's that's something that I I want them to win. Um, and so, uh, gosh, man, we'll see, we'll see. I don't know. Glenn says, "Well, that's it." <laughs> Twister Kid says, "Offense, step up." Hey, that I mean that that is it. Like I know, there if there's there, and obviously, like I'm not I'm not breaking any news here. I'm not shocking anyone saying this, but yeah, I mean that's it. They're not they're not winning any sort of national title this year. They 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 can't beat Georgia. Are you freaking kidding me? They get just absolutely smoked. Um, 
I mean, they can't beat Ohio State. They get Ohio State get just killed by Ohio State. Um, but yeah, that's, that's actually a good say. transition because Jacobs' three word review is twenty twenty three or bust. And then uh, he he adds to it some context says starting to get sick of having to hope for the next season every year. And then Brian comments on it and says, George is winning the whole thing, even if Oklahoma won against Baylor. <laughs> it's basically what you just said. Um, all right. I think that's about it on three word reviews from Twitter. I appreciate everyone leaving those. Um, they uh, yeah, hopefully that got out some frustrations. I'm sure we're missing probably a lot of parts of this game, but uh yeah, sorry for not getting this podcast out until now, but um, I know Grant was traveling on Sunday, and I'm glad we, we waited because I got a chance to rewatch it, and uh, that that was helpful. And yeah, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't planning on rewatching it, but I I didn't I, I did end up rewatching it in the last couple hours before we uh, before we started recording, and it wasn't I, it wasn't fun to watch. That was not a fun game to watch. Um, so I spent you know my only. Uh, my big takeaway from what is it week 12 of the college football season or week 11, whatever it is, I don't know, is if anyone hasn't uh, hasn't yet, I would recommend go try to see a game at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City. Really great place to see a game. That was my big takeaway from the week <laughs> outside of uh, outside of the obvious terribleness that we've already talked about. Uh, all the other stuff we talked about before the game, like secondary wise, key played corner the entire time, didn't play all that well. Um, uh, Woody Washington played. Uh, he they didn't really go off. Uh, they didn't go to his side at all. I mean, there was a couple of run plays to his side, I guess, but like, there's. I don't think there was one pass uh, to his man. I didn't see. And uh, DJ Graham was playing a lot. It, it, yeah, it, rough game. But I mean, so, so did Key. Uh, Key didn't didn't play very well. Uh, he. It, uh, I, I mean, Delarian Turner Yell, I think played played pretty well. I think um, again, Osamo was great. Uh, I guess Deshaun White was out, didn't play. Um, David Ogwebu was good and bad. I'm trying to think of like. The, See, I thought Ogwebu was pretty was pretty bad. There was a couple. Uh, there was a couple when, plays when in the second it. half in the series where he was getting good run fits and looking okay. Like I think on, I I think on a lot of those Bohannon runs, those keepers, that it sh- it should have been Ogwebu. Um, I don't know. He that, he's been I, disappointing, man. He's a guy that I I don't know. I, it just it. It seemed to me that the, he was that was if there is any sort of responsibility there, it always seemed to be that that was maybe supposed to be him. Um, then again, I don't know because I never know what the defense is doing. Yeah, so well, you and a lot of people. Uh, Justin Boyles played every snap at nickel, as far as I saw. Um, didn't see Billy Bowman, so they basically played the same five, with the exception of they rotated Woody Washington and DJ Graham. Uh, so I mean, Key Lawrence is basically taken over as number one corner because <laughs> uh, yeah, because DJ he wouldn't leave in the field. I don't think. I, eh. Maybe there might have been some snaps where it was Graham and Washington, actually, now that I think about it. But whatever. doesn't I mean, clearly those are the three corners they like. And, I mean, Billy Bowman probably ain't playing anymore. Okay, are you sure? Because I, I could totally be wrong about this. I don't remember seeing Key in the second half. Um, Honestly, I, I don't remember seeing Key that much after he got beat for the touchdown. But that that could just be a total just total miss by me. I'm not, yeah, I'm not I'm 100% wrong about sure. That. Maybe I missed that. I guess I wasn't watching that i like i thought i thought it was almost exclusively woody and dj after key got beat for the touchdown in the second quarter i I feel like i didn't see woody all that much i feel like he was he didn't play all that much um so uh but yeah again again the defense played good enough to win uh oklahoma plays defense like that for the most part 
they'll be fine. It's just it's annoying that they leave so many plays on the field still. They still make so many plays, and yet they leave easy stuff on the field. That's got to be fixed, but at this point, it won't be because we're 10 games in, so this is what they are. Um, if, they're, if they're not, they don't have the... Yeah. So let me, let me ask this, just as a... And maybe this is too big picture. Maybe we're getting way too head to... Let's, let's say OU ends the season, and, they, and like, they don't even win the Big 12 championship. Or they do, and they, but they still lose two games... Um, it's just, it's, and it's clear at the end of the year, it was a disappointing year where they, they didn't accomplish, you know, all the goals that they set forth. Does, does, does Riley make a change, uh, uh of some just sort? Like any change? I'm just, yeah. Like, and I'm not saying I like, if that were to happen, like I get, I'm, I'm not saying they should just like fire a bunch of dudes, but I mean, like, does he's, he's got to get a new set of eyes in there. Right. To say, to, to come in and, ju- and at least change the mojo like a little bit? Oh, well, first off, he uh, he hires Gary Patterson as a defensive analyst, right? <laughs> I mean, like, that'd be a really good start. I don't know if... But honestly, like, I, I would I, I would kind of like him to hire someone who do- who is not part of the air raid tree. Uh, Kirk Ferentz? So, like, a, a fully on just, like, physical Kirk guy. Kirk Ferentz. Um, and, and, hey, I'll, I'll, hey I'll, I'll bring it up, too. Hey, it's... There was and there hasn't been a, as much talk about it in the last handful of seasons, but man, I was there was a lot a lot of chirping from Texas fans when OU hired Benny Wiley, saying that was a really bad hire. Um, and I don't know, OU's injured all the time, and they don't have a lot of brute force on their team, and so I, I'm just I, I'm throwing yeah, anything against sure, the wall. and that's it's a podcast. Go for it. Topics of the strength and conditioning coach, it's always tough for me because I guess we can kind of see results on the field and stuff, but really we can't. I just, I feel like it's, it's such a difficult thing to judge. It, so it's, it's. Yeah, but like it's, the players spend the most time with the strength coach out of anyone on the, on the coaching staff because they see him in the off season. And so I think your strength coach goes a long way to, to kind of laying the groundwork for the culture in your program. And I'm not saying, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure Benny Wiley's workouts are hard as hell. I'm sure not easy. I'm just like, it's, um, I don't know. Maybe they're missing something. And I, and I just remember just because it, it's, you know, a, a weight program really can have a huge effect on the program. When I was, when I was at the university of Minnesota, Tim Brewster was the head coach. And, um, after college, I, I had a part-time job, uh, catering weddings with a guy who was a walk-on kicker on the team. He's a really good guy. We talked a lot. And, um, he said, as a kicker, as a walk-on kicker, he had the exact same weight training program as all the defensive linemen and the offensive linemen and the defensive backs. It was all the same throughout the entire program. They were doing the same thing. So like ever ever since I heard that anecdote, I was just like, holy crap. I mean, that's like, if I would have known that like year one of Brewster, I would have just said, okay, the guy is clearly in over his head. He needs to be gone. And so like it's, I don't know. Like I... The the weight the weight program like ever since I've heard that anecdote has always stuck out to me as like I think it's actually a lot a lot bigger deal than than a lot of people would would really think. No, it's definitely a big deal. There's no doubt about it. And uh, whenever you see it, it just it it gets spotlighted more and more. Whenever there's missed tackles and guys yeah, like the offensive lines not getting any push, and this has been an offensive line that's gotten pretty good push, you know, historically. And yeah, you you want them to be kind of. Yeah. Now in the first quarter, in the first quarter, Baylor, Baylor ran a speed option to where 
the edge guy was either Benito or, or Thomas. I can't remember. They were on Bohannon, and they forced Bohannon to pitch it out to uh, to Abram Smith really, really quickly. And then DTY is coming down, and he's I mean he's got him. He's he's right there. I mean he comes in, he makes the play. I mean he's, it's going to be a TFL for minus two or three yards. And he's, he just whiffs, just and totally that's misses. Even, that's not strength and conditioning. And hey, that's, that's just that's hey, yeah, are you a good player? Can you make a one on one tackle? Okay, yeah, that's and. And so you yeah, want, I, I, I didn't necessarily. Oh. I, I was I, I wasn't on the strength oh. and conditioning angle there. It was more of that was just another thing that was in my head that I didn't I didn't bring up earlier. But just stuff like that, where it's just like, and I go back to the Big Ten game I watched this week. Both those teams I watched, Minnesota and Iowa, aren't missing that tackle. Yeah, they're not. And I that's that's a problem in the program because that's a play that's oh, happened a, a lot this happens, year. Not just this where year. a guy from the secondaries come up. They've had a clear run at a guy in the open field running horizontally, and they just can't make the play. And, and so the issue with with that, just I'll I'll tell you, is that if you're gonna if you're gonna miss that tackle, you got to miss that tackle by turning him inside and funneling him to your help because you can't miss that tackle of him getting outside of you. And that's it. That it's all about angles. He it's all these guys are taking bad angles, and like that he he played that inside out. And he took a bad angle, and he got outside of him as opposed to coming down and trying to attack that outside shoulder. And what that does is, sure, maybe he gets shook. Maybe he still can't make because it's difficult to tackle guys one-on-one, especially guys like Tristan Ebner or Abram Smith. They're good. But at least what you can do is you can turn them inside, make them slow down a little bit, and funnel them into your help. And Oklahoma always talks about how it's a defense that has to run and sprint to the football. And for the most part, they do a good job of that. That's how you have to miss that tackle. You have to do your job to funnel them inside. And sometimes the safety does play inside out. Usually it's like a, a corner because they're on the outside on the edge that wants to funnel people outside in. And I get that. And a lot of times safeties do play inside out. But it's, it's in the moment you're a veteran player. You kind of have to have that ability that if you're going to play it inside out, you got to make the play. Because if not, the guy's going to get outside, hit the edge, and pick up positive yardage because you don't have anybody on the edge outside you except for the corner who's down the field getting blocked probably because he thought it was a pass play. So that, that's what happens on plays like that. And, yeah, Oklahoma misses them a lot. <laughs> they do. And, yeah, and that's, that, those, are, those are difficult plays. They are. But they're plays that good defenses yes. make consistently. Yes. Okay, let's get out of here. I got to get going. Um. We'll be back to talk Iowa State. You got any final thoughts? Uh, I just, I mean, I guess not really. I, I mean, it's 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 obviously amusing that Texas lost to Kansas. Um, I I, I actually do think, and this we can we can go right after this. Um, typically, I I would say you know to this that you're being kind of crazy, but <laughs> Texas probably does have to consider moving on from Sark. Um, that's. That's really bad. They, they've they've lost five in a row now. There's something going yeah. on. There. I mean, he's definitely he's, he's and, lost and the and locker of course, room. I, there's there's no doubt about it. And, and of course, like that's great. I mean, I I love it. Just feed that to me on a daily basis. But part of me is thinking like, ah, don't don't move on from give give him some time, give him a few years. I mean, I, I just just. Yeah, it's Texas, man. I, again, I don't. Yeah, sure. It's it's interesting they lost to Kansas again, but I will implore all of you, stop caring so much about Texas. They're irrelevant. They haven't been relevant since Mac Brown's been there. They're proving it to you again and again and again. You care too much about what's on that front of that jersey. Oklahoma cares too much about Texas, and that's why they're almost getting beat by them and, and getting beat by them in these years. They should be 
boat racing this team every single year. And they can't. I am not going to stop caring about Texas. I like college football. And OU Texas is a great rivalry, which is what makes college football fun, a big part of it. I was just at I was just at a, a Minnesota Iowa game, and that's that's a big rival. Iowa is, is Minnesota's number two rival. Minnesota is Iowa's number one rival. And it was kind of hostile. That was the first time I've been on there, and like it was legitimately a little hostile. Um, there was there like tailgating was cool, and there was a lot of nice people, but in the stands and the crowd, it was hostile. I mean, it was we were getting chirped a lot, and it was, and that was fun. That was great. That was awesome. So, um, yeah, I, telling people not to care about Texas, you're you're essentially telling them not to care and like college football. Uh, you might think you so, might think that no is basically all I have that. to tell you to that. But what I'm saying is. How about you focus your energy on things that matter? <laughs> because that team don't, because they suck, and they're not. A... What do you mean focus your like on what? Like focusing things on matter? Like what? Just being mad about the Baylor game after yeah, it had already figuring happened? Out what the heck's going on? Can this when you could just move on and be entertained at least by that game? It doesn't. It doesn't change what happened against Baylor, but at least it's fun to watch. It's just like what I mean. Is it like? Um, last week, last week I was watching the LSU Alabama game. Alabama was like a thirty-point favorite against LSU. Alabama probably should have lost that game. There were numerous opportunities they should have lost. That would have been very amusing to me, and I don't, I don't care about LSU or Alabama. Oh well, I mean those are those are two like, schools I mean, that have won same, national. It's the same principle. That have won national championships recently and are relevant to college football. I mean Texas has kind of just been a team that's eight and four at their ceiling for the last decade, and they're propped up because they're Texas. So like, yeah, and it's amusing because they're OU's biggest rival, and it's it's fun to watch. It's it's fun to watch them fail. That's I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I just I, if you take was, uh, pleasure in the failures of others, I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah, and sports, of course, I do. Back in the heyday of the the Brady Manning rivalry, I, I it was so just, delicious I when the Patriots lost. Every if single Texas time. was better and more relevant and actually could threaten Oklahoma, then maybe I'd feel differently. I just, I don't care. Like, I, I, I don't like the Baltimore Ravens organization. I get more, like, glee out of watching them struggle and, and not playing well. And that's so random because, like, who cares about the Ravens? Like, the, when Texas doesn't play well or something, I was like, eh, well, they've kind of been that way for the last decade. That's kind of what they've been doing. It's not surprising. And it's just interesting to me how... I, I guess that's just I'm just not wired that way. I, I, like. Well, I guess you're I mean, your your attitude towards Texas is very similar to my attitude towards Oklahoma State. But historically, my attitude is much, much more justified than yours. Like, yeah, it's like, sure, it, it's frustrating that in this decade, OU hasn't been more forceful in beating Texas. But there is there's there's history throughout that rivalry of no matter how bad or good those teams are, they're competitive against each other. And like that, I think those are one. Of, that's one of the things that you, who's like, you kind of worship at the altar of X's and O's. You love that, and I think I'm sorry. Uh, you love that S word, and um, <laughs> and um, I think it's it's frustrating to you that that doesn't always materialize, and that there is there are parts of it that you can't predict, and that you can't see coming, and those are, that's one of the reasons why I love college football. Like there's there's literally no reason. For what for uh for Auburn beating Alabama like for the last six seasons like that that shouldn't happen but it does yeah I mean but again like Auburn's been a team that's been pretty relevant recently they have a national title in the last decade so like they, and they get 
talent play. I mean, I just think Oklahoma has been so much better than Texas. So that's why, like, I understand the idea that rivalry games and stuff and emotions can make games closer. But my whole point is that Oklahoma has been so much better than Texas. It, it still shouldn't matter. Heck, think back, I mean, Bob Supes is able to curb stop Texas multiple times. And then Oklahoma got curb stopped the one time, right? Again, like when Vince Young was there, they got beat by like 50 or something like that. But really, ever since kind of that that era, there hasn't been, correct me if I'm wrong, there hasn't been a giant OU Texas blowout game, right? Um, not not in. I guess the, that's better for the game. I get that. Not in the vein I, I of that's better for the game. Not in the vein of like 2000, 2003, and then the the 2011 and 2012 games. Not in that degree. But in 2013, I was I was there with Dad. Texas beat the ever living crap out of OU. Like I mean, it was a it was. I think they only lost by seventeen, but it was a bloodbath. Like it was. They got killed. So basically, the equivalent, or no, I shouldn't say equivalent, but similar to twenty nineteen when Oklahoma beat the crap out of Texas, but still only won by a touchdown. Like that. That they beat the doors off Texas in that game and still only won by a touchdown. Like OU's defense, where they get eight sacks, held Texas to like something like. I don't even know if they got three hundred yards of offense in that game, and it still was a close game. And that's just that's the kind of stuff that bothers me. It, it, why are they letting this team hang? Why are they letting this team hang around? Is it, 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 it kind of goes back to the overarching thing. Maybe we were talking about halfway through this podcast. It's just the culture of the program, the, the finishing culture. How many times every year we're going to talk about this team learning how to finish, playing four quarters? I mean, it's been a theme almost every single season since Riley's been the head coach. And maybe it was a theme when Stoops, you know, at the end of Stoops as well. You would know more than, than me on that. But uh, it's just, yeah, I, I, maybe that's it. It's just kind of the whole idea that they can't, finish this team they can't put them away i mean 2017 they were up what 20 to nothing against texas couldn't put it on put put you know their foot on the throat 2019 game they texas couldn't move the football but oklahoma kept giving the ball back to them over and over again 2018 was yeah 2018 was 2018 2020 oh was up yeah, by multiple that, scores with five minutes ago went to overtime it's just, and yeah that stuff's frustrating but also it's there's really only one program that they've played where that stuff has continuously popped up over and over again against Texas, and it's it's that's just you're gonna roll your eyes at this. That's just one of the mystical aspects of college football. It just is. And yeah, there it is. He he did roll his know. eyes. I mean, everybody recently, Iowa State's been playing some pretty tight games with OU. That a huge rivalry, or maybe it's just because Iowa State's a good team. And I don't know, like, what about uh, I mean, Baylor's played a couple close games recently with Oklahoma. Last handful of years, even with Matt Rule there, you know, like heck, Baylor blew that huge game. Should have beat Oklahoma. Just, I mean, Texas. Uh, um, as long as, you know, at least we're not talking about the stupid monkey story anymore. <laughs> All right, we'll talk Iowa State later this week, I guess, and whatever, whatever else comes out. Uh, you know, we'll definitely talk about the playoff rankings, Grant, your favorite time of the week, because I know they matter so much to you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't care about those anymore. Not, I was going to say, yeah, not to... Not a great week for my for my opening take from last week, but whatever. My opening take was still right. The fact that they lost is yeah. irrelevant. Uh, okay, until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.